Hi, this is Star Wars author Delilah S. Dawson, and you're listening to Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. Sure. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This here, this is the Clashing Savers podcast. I here, I am one of your hosts, Brandon, <laughs> and I am here with my co-host. He is as shocking as Stellan Gios stealing Starlight Beacon from his beloved Avar Chris. Whoa. It's... There are some dangerous insinuations in that, but I'll take it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I figured you'd be okay with any Varkris reference happening ever, full stop. I mean, uh, that's kind of what I'm, I'm going to hang my hat on that. I appreciate that. Are you? How are you doing this evening, this, this I fine am, evening? I'm actually, I'm pretty good, because uh, tonight we're gonna, we have a really fun topic. We're going to be just talking Star Wars surprises. We'll get more into that Surprise. later. Woohoo! Uh, but Drew, I'm I'm very surprised and I'm very excited because I think I know something you don't know. Oh, okay. This should be good. Hit, uh, hit me with your best shot. This Ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum. is from Cinelinks. Uh, okay. <laughs> which is don't they serve like Cinnabons in like the airport? Isn't that what that is? No, they serve sausage links. Oh, good lord! Cinelinks, and they're wrapped in cinnamon. No, no, okay. Cinnamon sausage might be the nastiest thing you've ever brought up on this podcast before. And that's and saying something. Is that including the Patreon content? <laughs> oh, oh, golly gee. Okay, it's at least tied for first. How's that? Okay. Um. <laughs> you know how long I've gone without thinking about that commentary track? I, I cannot let you continue like that. Oh, I'm going to go take so, a bath now. This, again, from Cinelinks, uh, Jordan Mason on... Uh, April 13th, 2022, Star Wars Visions continues what? with shorts this year. Shut your mouth. And I, I will read this directly from the article. One source is pretty confident we'll get confirmation, possibly even footage of Star Wars Visions during next month's celebration. Oh, that we could be so lucky. You know what I'm saying? Mm, well, well okay. something like that. So, yeah. Uh a reportedly, again, these are very, very loose reports at this time. That there's nobody named. There's no even definite dates that are listed or anything. Um, but I mean, Visions has they've they've gotten uh, you know some toys. I was on. I was. I had to buy new socks. I bought new socks, and guess what I saw? Star Wars Visions socks. No way. Yes. What do they have on them? Uh, there's one with, uh, actually, there's one with the Ronin on it. Oh. Not the cover to the book, but specifically the, the, character, the character with red. So, yeah, if you oh, remind me, I'll, I'll, I'll find the link and, and send it to you. But, yeah, apparently it's arriving this year. Some of the same studios uh, that did earlier uh the earlier season season one so apparently so good that's such good news i'm 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 really excited and would just i would have the best time if they wanted to bring some of that up at celebration i've actually been looking for to make sure i can get like a nice shirt that's visions 
uh, themed to wear to celebration. And I'm, and, and my goal it's I don't know how likely it is, but I'd really like to find if there's vendors selling like lightsaber hilts, I really want to try and find the Ronin's saber hilt. Um, there are Etsy shops who have it available, but I'd yeah. like to actually find somebody there and be like, I need to patron your services. Good sir. <laughs> That'd be, that would just, Oh, that would just be to die for amazing. It'd be pretty cool. Hey, I'm, I'm always cool with new Star Wars content. I was kind of 50-50 on Visions. I, I liked half of them. Even loved a couple of them, Village Bride, and what's the other one that I loved? Uh, you were a fan of the Ninth Jedi, I think. No, not the Ninth Jedi. No, it was the no. first one, the the one with the, the Ronin. The Duel. The Duel. Thank you. The Duel. The Duel. So, also you know. Also Steven Spielberg's first movie, The Duel. Maybe maybe That's Steven a, Spielberg will do Visions. Okay. That's not what I meant, but okay. That's oh. a, it was a reference for like three people. Don't worry. You okay. should watch that movie. It's a good one. Well, I'm going to watch more Star Wars Visions, even though I wasn't super... <laughs> like, I wasn't, I wasn't as high on it as you are and were. And because, and I mean, it was, it's literally right up your alley. It's like... Yeah. It's like giving us like porgs, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) oh, cute animals. Okay. Yeah. That's definitely right up my alley. I'm buying everything I see with a porg on it or baby Yoda, right? Like it it hit that sweet spot for you. And so I'm excited on your behalf, but I'm also excited uh, to just see if maybe I can notice a pattern for myself watching uh, any different types of shorts of, of things in anime that connect with me you know so that i can seek out other things that that person's created or other versions or styles uh of anime like that so yeah yeah i think it i think it has brings a lot to the table i'll bring you some dvd sets of my favorite anime when we we hook up in uh celebration and then we can we can stay up late watching cartoons 43 days it's coming up so soon i feel like okay listen we have to have a word because uh, my name was brought up in vain on the last ep- episode of Sith Talk. No, I think your name was bought, brought up in <laughs> empathy, but continue. Uh, I don't know about that. I was I was accused of, of uh, being a type A personality who has to have everything under control, and, and my, my fears for celebration and the lack of information that I have and my inability to come up with a good plan right now is evidently driving Lindsay and Zach a little crazy, which is fine with me, let's be honest. But I, it's it is it is kind of driving me me nuts. This drips and little tiny morsels of information we get every like four or five days now. There's like a tweet that says, "Hey, there's there's people coming that you can pay more money to have autographs and pictures with." And here's like five Ashley of them. Eckstein. It's not the people you want to see. Yeah, I know it's you who you want to meet, but yeah, it's 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 kind of to hear people say that this is normal kind of bothers me <laughs> like i'm not sure that i'm cut out for this level of stress again uh ask me that again in like a month's time or two months time once we're back and we've kind of decompressed from it all to see if it's worth it or not um i'm still really excited but i am i am starting to get a little antsy about the lack of information and i know things are going to change and i know we got to be flexible but i'm bringing three little kids with me and I got to make sure that they eat at the right times and take naps at the right times and we don't walk too much and they have things to do and they can see cool stuff. So standing in line for an hour and a half is not an option for us really in any way, shape or form. So it's going to be an interesting weekend. That is faux show. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, we did get, we got an announcement about uh, a Bad Batch panel uh, that's going to be mm-hmm. on Sunday. So that's good on. Is it Sunday? It's on Sunday, yeah. I thought it was Friday. No. Did they, did they the, already move things around? No, the Bad Batch panel, just the Bad Batch specific panel has uh-huh. been on. Here, I'm going to pull up the Star Wars app if you guys hear any of the sound effects in the background. Uh, Isn't the Mando season three panel supposed to be on Saturday, I think? Something like that. Yeah, I'm going to pull up. So, yeah, right. Bad Batch here. I'm pulling this up on StarWars.com uh, for those of you that want to play along at home. Uh, <laughs> Sunday, May 29th, David W. Collins will be hosting. So, kind of... Hmm. Sad that they haven't announced times yet. I'm gonna be sad if I miss that one, especially if uh, David W. Collins is there. And then the Mandalorian uh, panel is. They have not set a specific date yet. Oh, no, I'm oh. sorry. I lied. Uh, the panel called Mando Plus, a conversation with uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni, will take place on Saturday, May 28th. The 28th. Okay. So again, they haven't released times yet. This is probably going to be one of the big panels that we were going to have to do the lottery yeah. for. Um, oh, so man, I forgot all about that. <laughs> yeah, you know, honestly, I'm glad that I haven't gone to a celebration before because I've had so much time to watch the panels and stuff on online. And right. while I am like, it would be amazing to be able to say that I, you know, saw John. Uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni, like in real life in person. If if I don't, it's not the the worst thing that could ever happen, and it's going to be on YouTube. So True. really, yeah, I, I, like, you're not wrong about that. Yeah, you know, and and so my biggest thing is I want to go to the things that are going to be an experience. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm hoping for unique things. You know, like. Something that somebody made with their hands, you know, a a bunch of buttons or pins that they made with hyper-specific references on it would be super cool. It's a deep cut for me. (laughs) For those of you who are going to Celebration and haven't been before or who are just looking for more information on on what to do and what to expect, uh, we are going to have Lindsay come uh, come back on the show uh, here pretty soon next couple of weeks and we're going to do just a a question and answer kind of thing talking to her about uh celebration she's been this is the first this is the first year since i've known her that she hasn't uh been able to go to celebration and so she's got years of experience and great advice and stuff that i know she's been sharing with with us in our group chat and we wanted to to bring that to you guys. So if you have questions or things that you're wondering about, send those over to us, uh, clashing sabers network at gmail.com and I'll compile them all together and we will uh, try to get you some answers to, to those questions. So with that said, Drew, Hmm. what have you been star Warsing lately? Well, we've uh, finally got my hands on a copy of queen's hope. Finally, Uh, after it, I know, I know. It's my own fault. I, I, I guess I just shouldn't pre-order things from Barnes & Noble anymore. Sorry, guys. Uh, I, I was really, to kind of to just sit on that for a moment, I, I've, I'm not a fan of pre-order culture. I don't really care for it very much. I understand why it's important. I don't like the fact that it is important in the way that it's important anymore. Um, I don't like that if you don't pre-order a thing that's 
more niche, you're not as likely to find it in the wild anymore. That's kind of uh, obnoxious. And it's been that way for a number of years. But I have a couple Star Wars pre-orders, and that Queen's Hope is one of them. Edge of Balance Volume 2, which is actually the end of Phase 1 for the higher public. I wish people would stop saying it's done, because it's not until next month. Um, but the last thing that I ordered was a Black Series figure from GameStop. It's been historically really, really bad at filling its pre-orders, never mind for Black Series toys. But I got mine on the day of release in the mail. Like, it showed up on the same day. It would have been available in stores. That was amazing to me. I was really, really happy about that. I was very excited, and it came in good condition. It was well-packaged, and I, I was very impressed, and I will absolutely do uh, another one with GameStop again if there's another figure in the future that I need to get. Barnes & Noble, who's been doing books for you know how many decades now, didn't ship it until the day of release, and it shipped it from the great and awful state of New Jersey, uh, and it took five days to get to North Carolina. I, it just really kind of bothered me. Like I thought that pre-ordering it ahead of time and being a member would, would help speed the thing along, but it didn't. So anyway, having said that, it did finally arrive. I was very excited to see it, uh, to get it in hand and start reading it. It's a pretty easy read. I'm a little over halfway through. I should be finished in the next day or two. Um, cause I, it, it is, it, it, I am enjoying it as much as I was hoping I would enjoy it so far, so far, so good. But uh, yeah, that's kind of been the main thing is that and just kind of packing my clothes up for celebration, making sure I've got enough pairs of socks. Evidently, I've got to go get some more that have uh, Ronin on them. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you don't come the first day of celebration in nothing but Ronin clothes, I'm, I'm going to be a little disappointed. I have a bad feeling about this. You can wear those heels that she wears in... Uh, Listen, if I find a pair, I might have to buy some. That shot, let's just talk about that shot for a moment. It's like, what, seven seconds long? And the animation in that particular shot is just so beautifully done. And it tells like a complete story all within that one contained image. It starts off as as not necessarily functional, but rather just fashionable. But in the blink of an eye, it changes. And you don't have to understand what it's actually doing. You don't have to understand the implications of the movements or the actions in order to appreciate the fact that this is no longer what you thought it just was. And that tells us something about the character. It tells us something about her training and situations and what she's come prepared to do. And, and it tells us a lot about what's going on in the story. And you're talking about a shoe. Like, <laughs> yeah. imagine trying to pack all that information into something you walk on you know, all day long. And, and these guys just took it to another level. And, and the way the shine shifts from the front to the back and, and the top cover slides up and out and it just... Everything moves so fluid, and you can tell that this was a shot that they crafted and they worked on for so long. It's also like a Miyazaki shot cooking food. If you watch a Miyazaki film, there's food in it. It just you you want to eat it. It looks so good the way that they've hand animated these things, and it's just that one shot. Just oh, it gets me right where I live. I, I'm so excited you told me there's fish in season two potentially coming because if that was all we're going to get, then I'd probably still be okay with what we got. But man, more is uh, usually better. End shoe rant. Sometimes we just have to so have good. costuming rants on here, and that's okay. Oh, it's just so good. This is a safe space. <laughs> I'm going to give you time to go. Because so, we're going to get weird. Oh, great. Okay, so I'm going to go prepare for weird, whatever that means, existential dread, <laughs> existential dread. 
you go buy yourself <laughs> some Visions heels, and uh, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we will get into our main topic. <laughs> I did not expect Skywalker to be so wise. We will give him and the Jedi Order the death he desires. After the rebels are gone, we will go to his planet and obliterate the entire island. Such spunk. Look here now. The entire resistance on those transports Soon they will all be gone. For you, all is lost. Oh, still that fiery spit of hope. You have the spirit of a true Jedi. And because of that, die surprise guys we're talking about star wars surprises and uh, drew and i were kind of talking about what we were going to do here and i said all right lay down the parameters and drew said i will leave that up to your discretion and so <laughs> drew i want you to tell me what was your discretion what kind of parameters did you set as we're talking about star wars surprises well it started off with um, we wanted to organize it around a best and butts or uh, listing, kind of the top and bottom surprises. And I, I wanted to try and, and relive as many of the moments that made me go, what happened? I did not expect that. Not just within the context of the story or something you see or read, but uh, opening it up to a wider source of opportunities. And the, you know, we have a tendency to kind of focus in on the things that we like when we have, when we're doing these kinds of lists, like I told Brandon, I said, if you put, you know, if it's just all cave metaphors all the way down your list, then I, that I'm walking, <laughs> like we all have things that we all kind of talk about a lot. And so I really kind of wanted to stretch and find some things that maybe we haven't talked as much that were impactful and just haven't had their opportunity in the sun. Or if there are things that we really want to make sure that we hammer home and say, this is an important thing. Or and for the bottom of the list was difficult because if you think about the things that surprised you in a negative way, in your experience with the entirety of the Star Wars universe from front to, be, front to back, um, there is an easy temptation to just go and complain. And that's not really our style. Um, we want to make sure that when we have things that hit us negatively, we can either ex explain them, express them, or discuss them. So it's not as simple as saying, well, I don't like what they did in Rise of Skywalker. Well, like, let's talk about why you were caught off guard and what that means. You know, things like that. Not necessarily mentioning, you know, Rise of Skywalker on my list here. And you should all be very impressed that I remembered the name of that movie this time. Um, first time for but everything. I really wanted to try and, and thanks, man. I really wanted to try and and find those things that really made a difference and and change the way that at least I experienced these kinds of things, whether they overcame expectations or failed to meet them, whether they introduced something new and exciting, or if it was a decision that I would not have necessarily made again with my years and years and years experience in the creative world. <sighs> Um, which is none, by the way, if you didn't get that. 
just kind of those things that stand out and really kind of made you reinterpret and re-understand and reevaluate the things that you held before. How does that line up with your approach to things? For for my bottom, uh, my butts, if you will, I did three things that like surprised me in different ways, but all of them make the list because there's something that I continue to think about. Um, oh, interesting. And, and continue to analyze. And it's something that still sticks with me. Um, and that's kind of the same idea, but flipped that I took with the, the top three, uh, which are the ones that were things I didn't expect to happen. Things that, uh, caught me off guard in terms of how much I liked them and have become an important, uh, part of my, my fandom experience, uh, in various ways. So you are kind of looking at the things that made you like question uh or that really made you excited it sounds like and i'm kind of looking at what has continued to stay with me past its initial uh incarnation if you will yeah okay i like it i like it i like it do you want to start with uh the butts yeah let's do it and uh you want to go ahead and give us your number three okay uh, my number three is bringing Luke back into live action uh, TV through the Mandalorian and then the book of Boba Fett. Wow. Here's why I say that. Again, this is something I was, I was surprised by and not in a super positive way. Now, is it, is it fine? Is it great? Yeah, it's great. It's cool to have him back and cool to see him and, and do things and interact with other characters. I love it. My concern was, and the thing that really shocked me is the, is that, when we reintroduce legacy characters into entirely new characters' stories, it is ex- very easy for those other characters to be overshadowed dramatically. Um, and I feel like that is absolutely something that affected the book of Boba Fett when they had an entire episode with Grogu, Luke, and Ahsoka. Um, that is a challenge and it was, I think it was handled well in the show, but I really am concerned for the impact that's going to have on future projects. It's not my favorite thing. I think it was handled well in the sequel trilogy in that each of the three films, they allowed a, a legacy character to end their story. I think that was a pretty good move. But even if you think about like the force awakens was almost more about Han than it was about Ray. And I feel like it does a disservice to the new characters if all the time and attention is spent on the legacy characters. And I just don't want that to be the case here. We have to have some freedom to tell some new stories and things. And every time we latch in or we bring in and rope somebody in from 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, we're diminishing that ability. Are there ways to do it? Yeah, there's there's some really exciting ways to do it, but but I, it makes me really concerned when when we had Ahsoka and then Luke, and then even Cad Bane was a really cool addition, and but I'm I'm glad they kind of dealt with him the way that they did, and he's kind of done, and his story has been told, and that's fine. 
But we know Ahsoka gets her own show, so she probably gets a pass because that's a connection. So what does that leave left for Luke? Are we going to see him come back? Is he going to get a new show for his adventures? I, I don't know. And, and that really kind of makes me concerned. So I'm, I'm, it caught me off guard. And the more I think about it, the more I get concerned about it. I can understand that. Um, but I... I'm going to save any commentary on Luke for right now. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. Yeah. Be- but my number three is the book of Boba Fett. And here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I really enjoyed the show. I really did. Uh, but when it comes to overall story and cohesion and feeling like one narrative, the way that they even made like season one and season two of Mandalorian felt different a little bit. Uh, Book of Boba Fett felt like three different shows packed into one. And a lot of that is with regards to what you were talking about of they spent so much time with these characters, these legacy characters we already know or characters that have their own show or are getting their own show that that, Anytime you do that, you're taking away from the other characters. And so... Yeah. It's just the argument I made. Yeah, no, it's, just, it's I think we're on the exact same page here of... well, And, and we talked about this a little bit uh, when we were talking about the series, but the finale to me, top tier. So much fun. Uh, I wish... Like, we just got more cool stuff like Boba Fett riding a Rancor. <laughs> but the inability or the lack of attempt to build the side characters and make us really care about them at all took all the weight out of that episode for me. And I'm saying that as somebody who loves that episode. Like it would probably, other than maybe, you know, if I just need some feel good seeing Luke and Ahsoka together. But if I'm going to, which episode of Book of Boba Fett do I want to just toss on there's no doubt like it's the 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 finale but i also Hmm. don't care about any of the characters in there except for mando mando and grogu and pelimato because those are already pre-established characters everybody that they built in the series and i'd even include boba fett in that i didn't care about as much as i cared about those those characters it is it is and i think it 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 shows a couple things one we can go too far on the interconnectedness of everything yes yes uh and then two and i and i know you're a, a boba fett fan and i don't say this as a a derogatory but it proved to me that boba fett is a really solid side character interesting because huh. in Mando, uh, in the Mandalorian, when he's where and he's a side character, even in an episode where he is like one B, and he, you know, the tragedy, he's supporting Cass, but he's the focus of that episode more or less. It works really, really well. But if you can't even get through seven episodes of a series named after him. And have enough content and enough character to build him into somebody that people want to see as their main character. That's a problem. 
and mm. it's a problem with the writing and it's I use problems in a different way to say it's a problem for the character because you're putting that character in a spot where that character doesn't need to be. And that takes away from a really great character. Do we have enough just at the core of this character to build something like the Mandalorian without having to depend on those things? And I don't know that you can do that with Boba Fett. So by using him in that way, that was what was shocking to me really about the character is everybody who loves him has built him up as this amazing character and, and this awesome guy that needs to be at the forefront and we get the tragedy and I'm on board. And then we get book of Boba Fett and you know, if it's convenient, I'll get on the train, but otherwise I'll just wait for an Uber. I don't know. Hmm. Oh, I'm sad to hear that. <laughs> and it's not, uh, I mean, I, I know I, I'm focusing on the harsh part of things here, but go back and listen to our Book of Boba that's, stuff, because I really did enjoy yeah. the series overall, but that's a big, big problem. So, no, and, and that's kind of the the idea here, is that you're, you're allowed to be surprised in a negative, you're ne- allowed to have, you know, a reaction that says, oh, I don't like this. Um, and it's it's some, it's helpful to sit and, and f- sit with those things and try and figure out why that is. You know, it tells us more about ourselves and and kind of gives us a better idea of what we might actually enjoy. Which is kind of why my number two is I had a hard time figuring out how to phrase this um, because it's happened a couple of times. And so if I get to the end of this sentence and it doesn't make sense, bear with me. The willingness to dump creative talents in film but keeping the legacy creators in TV and books. Every time they changed a director or writer, I was like, what? (laughs) Come on. And they haven't made those kinds of changes in TV and print. And it's really interesting to look at that distinction. Like I know authors kind of come and go and not everybody's going to get a trilogy. And not everybody's going to get invited into Project Luminous. That's fine. And there are a number of authors who have only done one Star Wars thing. And again, that's fine. But changing like major roles on a film production scares the daylights out of me. <laughs> and every time it happens, you can see it on screen when it happens. And it has this effect on things. And so, you know, Rogue One is probably the um it's it's kind of the exception that proves the rule where you really shouldn't do it because it doesn't work but for one in a million times the end third of rogue one we know was kind of rewritten and reshot and kind of entirely revamped when they brought on a second director to come and clean it all up but when we look at the effect that changing directors and writers for solo had on its final product project and even for Rise of Skywalker, like there's, there's, it's hard to say because if you're that unhappy with what a person is doing that you feel like you need to completely change the direction of a project that far into development, that's hard, man. That's not good. But then to have it happen three times is really rough. Like that's not a good thing. And now we're talking about Rogue One putting on, or not Rogue One, um, 
the alleged Rogue Squadron movie on indefinite hiatus while Patty Jenkins gets her schedule together over the next couple of years. And it's this difficult balance between every time we see a film go on an indefinite hiatus, it never comes back versus she says she's in, still involved in the project and it's going to happen. It's just going to take a couple extra years. That's a tough line to buy when history shows us that it never bears out the way that you'd want it to bear out. So it's interesting to me that when we look at like the TV side of things, though, once they found Dave Filoni and have kept him in charge of the projects, those of all, almost all of them have really soared. Um, I don't, and then we, I don't really want to get into my number one just yet. Cause it, it just kind of hurts, but having him and John Favreau in control of kind of what we see on TV is interesting, but we also know that the two of them are not in control of what the other seven projects that are supposed to be coming eventually. Um, the Andor show and the acolyte and Lando supposedly supposedly has a show and there's a droids cartoon. And I just saw something the other day about a, a new kids animated cartoon of some kind. There's like rumors of kind of like galaxy of adventures. Yeah. And there's rumors of a high Republic. I've heard both high Republic kids show and then I've also heard High Republic live action show. So mm-hmm. it would seem at the very least their conversations are happening around putting even more there. Yeah. So, and those are fine and that's fine. But what was, what is surprising to me is how many times it really train wrecked a film project. And, and I don't want that same result to impact the rest of the stories that are being told. Like I don't want them to change creatives on a show, which is probably um, not as likely an issue because of the way in which they produce the shows. You know, they have six, seven, eight, 10, 12 episodes, and that's the end of it. And, you know, there's an opportunity to renew it for an additional season if it's so determined. But when you're doing a film project, you've got every egg in a singular basket, and it's got to work, and it's got to make its debut date. And, you know, we don't like to monkey around with uh, when things come out, evidently. Like if they would take the same level of care with their creatives in the film side as I feel like they do in the TV and even in the the print side, I feel like that would really help. Now this is all pre-celebration, so we don't know what's coming. We don't know what's going to be announced. We don't know how close we are to to new to new movies, but we would like that, wouldn't we? I don't think there's anybody who says let's never have another Star Wars movie ever again. Like it would be awesome to have more. And when we had five different movies we know they were working on with Patty Jenkins having one Taika Waititi having one and Ryan Johnson having three. Yeah. <laughs> like where's that gone? Like, we don't talk about Ryan apparently. Is... No, 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 no. <laughs> See, here's the I thing about, about these projects that confuses me is you have a productive system in the books with the High Republic. You have a productive system in the movie, or excuse me, in the TV shows, but you're struggling in the movies. You have two working systems that you figured out to make extremely successful. Why aren't you taking things from that and putting them into the movie side of things? Yeah, I'm hoping that they'll have done that with the time that they had. You know, you know, the last film came out uh, what, December ni- 2019. 2019, and yeah. then everything shuts down, right? So if the production issues halted, or, or rather, not issues, but if production generally stopped, 
in order to accommodate for pandemic issues and and only recently let's presume are starting to spin back up that's a lot of time we've had for these ideas to bake and to cook a little bit longer and i think that's okay if we're able to take that time and learn it now how are we ever going to know that's what happened i probably never will but if we can get from where we are today to the point of next cinematic release without hearing stories of this person dropped off and we're hiring three new writers or, you know, this person's project is canceled and it's going to turn into something different. I mean, if you think about it, like the Boba Fett show and the Kenobi show, were both supposed to be movies at one point five years ago. Yeah. Like they are supposed to be Kenobi, a Star Wars story and Boba Fett, a Star Wars story. And we were supposed to have this whole anthology sideline of films that kind of fell apart after Solo, unfortunately, and, and probably other related reasons that we don't have all the details. And that's fine. I'm not saying we need to have all the details. I'm saying figure it out. You don't have to tell us everything right away. How long did they make us wait for Project Luminous? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, they had the authors. They knew the era. They probably had a pretty good outline of the story. They had, yes. They they had like that announcement where all five of the authors had come down to the Lucas Ranch and for like two weeks and they had hashed out all these different things. And then they, when they finally had it all put together, then they made the announcements of things. That's what we want the movies to be like. And they didn't make the announcements until they knew for sure what was going to be going on. Yes, exactly. Like they knew they had good stories. They knew they, like, I'm telling you, they probably hadn't started, like, writing all the books. But I guarantee you, by the time that they even announced Project Luminous, Charles Sewell had started Light of the Jedi. Oh, bro, we're we're barely at the end of phase one. I guarantee you the authors are working on their phase three projects right now. Yeah. Somebody is out there writing a book that doesn't get published for another three or four years. That's where we should be. We should have that level of discipline to, to come up with, you know, today, tomorrow, and next month on, on a scale that's not measured in days and months, but in, in quarters and years. And, 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 and maybe that's not a skill that's easily translatable from the TV and print world into the film world. I kind of doubt it. I yeah. I feel like we've, yeah. Been, we've been doing movies for 130 years now. I feel like we've kind of got a lot of education that we can draw from. And I don't know where the, 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 the problem is in that particular train. I don't know. I don't, I have a hard time believing there's a singular person who's responsible for it. I feel like it's just kind of an institutional issue that they came up against and did the best, made the best decisions they could with the information that they had. Sometimes it works more often than not. It's resulted in, in, in less quality. I think star Wars works best when it's, a, a you know it's the proverbial sandbox where everybody gets to come and, and play but you have a singular head of this is where the buck stops it was george for for the longest time and people got to create side mm-hmm. stories and people got to you know come up with ideas and stuff like that but what george said went and right he had the vision and he yeah that vision for everyone else to follow and catch up and and with the with the books and the tv shows they're doing a variation of that as uh, with regards to the shows that have been released thus far it's feloni and favreau are it 
they're the ones that are building it. Yes. They're the ones that you go to. They're the ones that handle, like, it's very clear this is who you go to. With Project Luminous, right? We have these these five authors in the High Republic. They establish the world. They establish the rules. They establish the level of excellence. All of those things that you need for a system to work. Now we bring in more people. Now we bring in mm-hmm. other people who are really good at their job. We bring in Zoraida Cordova. You know, we bring in George Mann. I'm forgetting the other authors' names that they announced today, but we're bringing in these other people because we have the system that works, and right. we're not bringing them in to reinvent you the wheel. Them. You teach them, right. and then let them meld them their style with your style. It it works in every organization. It works in sports. It works in offices. It works in classrooms. It works. It works everywhere. Establish your system, <laughs> prove that it works, then allow people to be creative in said system. You're missing all of step one when it comes to the movies. You didn't yeah. establish, you established Star Wars is at the box office again with the, the sequel trilogy, but you yeah. didn't establish this is what <laughs> Disney Star Wars looks like because you had... In my personal opinion, one really solid movie, one great movie, and one movie that Drew can't even remember the name of. That's not a good <laughs> standard setter of, of, of excellence and of what the movie should be. When you had A New Hope, Irvin Kirshner knew what Star Wars was when he went to work on Empire. And you can see it in the result. Hmm. Right? It's a really good point. I really like that. I mean, you look at it in an even bigger scale. Look at how successful The Clone Wars is with all the crazy stuff that it does. You know why it works? Because George established what that world looked like and what excellence and prequel storytelling looked like with his three movies. You didn't do that with the sequels. You can love them. You mm-hmm. can hate them. You can be up and down on them. I... I We'll get to more of them in, in literally just a second here. But <laughs> they were, as an entity, a, 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 a hot mess. And yeah. when that's the standard that you set, that's the standard that you get. I love Rogue One. There's probably at least two other versions of Rogue One that exist. That's a problem. I love Solo. I really love Solo. But it was a mess. It barely made it out as in it, it. Yeah. So that's a problem. And, and that brings me to my number two, which is, and this is probably going to catch you off guard, Ben Solo. Whoa. Okay. So you were surprised in a negative way. Here's, here's how so. You guys know I love Ben Solo. I literally have Kylo Ren tattooed on on my body and <laughs> probably would have gotten Adam Driver if I had the opportunity. He is his character Kylo Ren specifically is the one character I love what they did with him in Rise of Skywalker. Like okay. pretty much all the way through. Ray I have ups and downs with Finn I hated it, Poe I hated it. Kylo Ren, absolutely excellent. So why is this on your butts list? 
because they mismanaged post-redemption Ben Solo. Huh. And again, the shrug heard around the world, love it. <laughs> right? But you don't have him talking. And it works in a way because it's showing that he's realizing that actions speak louder than words. Yeah, that's that's good. But you missed a real opportunity to show Ben finally standing up for himself in front of Palpatine. Instead, you get, he gets thrown down this, this ridiculous little hole in the ground. And I love that Rey is, is there. I love that they featured her. She's one of my favorite characters, period. Not sequel trilogy, just period. But you missed a chance. If you're, if you're selling this movie as the Skywalkers and the Palpatines, why not have them stand side by side at the end? I love that he gave his life for her because she taught him this great lesson and, and through healing and compassion. Absolutely love that. But it was the, having him die was the safest way to go and not in a good way. Mm. And that's yeah. what bothers me. If you if you have if he if he needs to die at the end of the story, I'm not. I know we have uh, have other podcasters and, and friends of mine. I know are very much like, why is everybody got to die all the time? I'm fine with them dying, but the dying has to be the most important part of the story, and not a clear escape from this is the end. Guess he's got to go. Which is exactly what they did with Ben Solo. So, oh man, I'm, 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 yeah. And and selfishly, I want more. This is because I want more Ben Solo stories. And I think if he lived, we get Uh, a lot of prequel stuff. We maybe get book series after if they say, nope, we're never doing episode ten. It's not going to happen. And they want to do, you know. The, the new Jedi Order, you know, round two with Ray and, and Ben. Like, I would have, I, I would absolutely eat all of that up 100%. So there is that selfish aspect of it for me. But also, just you had our friend Amanda and, and I were talking about this morning. When it comes to discussion for best actor, to me, Oscar Isaac and Adam Driver are the only ones in the conversation right now. Best actors on the face of the earth. Wow. Okay. And you have both of them and you mismanaged both of them. (laughs) Like not you had both. You had them in the same project. And, and it's one, not like it was a surprise either. It's like you knew you had these characters. Yeah. You knew you had these actors. It's not like, oh, man, they changed everything in the last minute, and suddenly I have Adam Driver and Oscar Isaac toys to play with. Like, that's not how it happened. I don't want to turn it into just, like, just a gripe fest here, but I, I, I totally agree that it is so shocking at what we got. And, and th- there are positives to Rise of Skywalker. Lindsay will hate us forever if we don't say that there are good things. Oh, about no. It, but it, it really... Hard to I, deny that there are these glaring issues that you can see and you you can trace instantly back to the source of the issues. I think that's prob- probably the problem. Yeah. Like so many people can look at it and know and diagnose and diagnose the problem 
and be like, this is what happened. You know, this is where things went off the rails. And, and it's not hard to pinpoint that, unfortunately. No, it's not. I, I think, Thanks. again, there's a lot of stuff I love in Rise of Skywalker. A lot of stuff I love. Uh, but whew, it's an uphill, it's an uphill battle. Yeah. And I'm not going to sit here and yeah, be and like the one more rank to go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and, and, you know, say that duel of the fates would have been better or anything like that, or say that I have a solution for it. That's but question, that's a good question. Yeah. When we, when have we look at it objectively, script? I have, yeah. Uh, I read oh, the script okay. and, and I, I listened to, there was a, a uh, content creator who did a podcast series that was an audio drama of it. And I listened what? to that. Yeah. No. Yeah. Have we talked about that before? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Yeah. I wonder what it's called. It's called, du- it's called Duel episode nine, Duel of the, or episode, yeah, episode nine, Duel of the Fates or something like that. Just look for Duel of the Fates. It's, it's there. I mean, it's a, oh, the production man. quality is absolutely fantastic. It sounds, you know, pretty darn good. I, I, I don't know how you could get it any better unless you were in, you know, Disney Studios. So give us your, we, we, we've got a couple of them out of the way. Give us your biggest Star Wars. I feel like these are Star Wars surprising letdowns right now. Well, that's kind of what, you're not wrong. Because that is kind of the nature of this analysis to say what shocked you the most. And, 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 and again, mine is, is strategically designed into the tops would be the best surprises. The ones that are like, wow, more of this, please. And the, the ones below it, like, wow, never again. And I was su- really surprised at how hard I bumped off of Resistance. I wanted to love that show before it came out. I thought for sure it was going to be for me. I was so excited about it. And it's not <laughs> at all. Um, I don't really know that it was 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 worth it. Honestly, like I'd love for it to have been good, and I every so often I'm like, let me just try and pick it back up. I can't do it. Like each of those 22 minute episodes feels like it's three hours long, and it, and it, it's probably just attributed to I'm not the target audience. And that's fine. Not everything has to be for me. Please don't make everything for me. I'd like that, but nobody else would. So I, I don't know. Even my kids watched it and they're like, yeah, it's okay. It's fine. But they never talk about anything like in it. And I compare that to, you know, Bad Batch, which my boys both loved. And, you know, the Clone Wars, which they they love and still talk about and and, and play. And, and even like the films, they, they talk about the First Order. My kids have so little attachment to the classic trilogy of all three sets. They, they understand the classic trilogy the least, which is f- amazing to me, but resistance came and went and was two seasons and that's it. And I, I just really had such high hopes for that. And I was so shocked that coming off of the success of rebels that it just, everybody seemed to bump off of it. I don't know that there's a whole lot of like diehard support for that one at all. Can you think of, like some small corner, some subset of this group of, of fans who's like all in on the resistance show. Uh, I like I'm sure there's no. somebody out, somebody's out there is like, like waving that flag and that's fine. I, and I'm glad that there are people who are probably like that, but man, did I, did we all bump off of that one as hard as I did? Cause oof, it was rough. It's the first time that I didn't like sit down to watch a new star Wars. Yeah. Like, I literally finished season two on my phone. 
it would be really nice to if like to understand the creative decision to take that show in the direction that they did. Like, why did they want it for a younger audience than Rebels? Like, why are they aiming for that six to eleven age bracket instead of the ten to thirteen age bracket? I'd be really interested to know why they went that, and maybe the the level of success it achieved is why that younger target audience media is now like galaxy of adventures shorts and this new, you know, other YouTube series kind of based things. Like they dropped it from a, a show to put in syndication and, and made it much more like just internet bites. You can kind of consume uh, so that you don't use up all the screen time that your parents let you have on a daily basis kind of thing. Like, I, I was really sh- shocked and surprised at, at, at Resistance and what it did not accomplish, unfortunately. Yeah, I think one of the things about Star Wars is, I always say Star Wars doesn't talk down to kids. And so, you know, George made it for 12-year-olds, but they're, you know, you're dealing with weighty topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially as we're getting more diverse content, we're getting into all kinds of different weightier topics and so then you get resistance and it's like a it doesn't really have that much to do with the resistance uh which is confusing (laughs) there's that (laughs) um we don't really talk about that much but yeah it, it just it felt like it was talking down to star wars fans of all ages yeah it really did it really did. Even for the kids it was targeting, it was like, even this is kind of not hitting them where they live. Yeah. And they really should, it really could have. And you can do more, you know, kiddish stuff. There's, you know, episodes of Rebels, especially in season one, uh, where, you know, you have the, the droids episode, the droids in mm-hmm. distress. Very childish. The Melu run episode, very childish. But they made those episodes matter later in the story. So they gave them a a purpose to the narrative. And it wasn't all the time. It was very clear on those episodes that this is a a tropey story to give us a little background, build these relationships with the characters. With Resistance, it was, here are some very tropey things because we think if we exploit this joke enough, eventually it will become funny. <laughs> it's like, no, we're all laughing because it's awkward and we want to move on. We want to oh, go no, home. There was no laughing at, at that stuff. It was like, okay, sure. What Fair. Else I was like, please just at least give me a dynamic race. Like make the, the action exciting. It, you know, you've got no. the pod race from episode one, which is basically the bar for action now. It's kind of like, if you can't even be as exciting as the Potteries, what are you doing? Come on. Well, here's what they were doing when they should have been working on Resistance. This gets to oh. my number one. I'm really kind of scared now. They were denying Ashley Eckstein a chance to be Ahsoka in live action. Oh, really? This Okay. I'm here's, just, like, this is the hill you're going to die on? This is the hill I'm going to die on. And it's not actually because I wanted her as mm-hmm. Ahsoka in live action. No. Sure. Would I have taken it? Absolutely. Could they have digitized her, her face and, and everything like that? Sure. But 
the 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 bottom line is Ahsoka is is uh, coded as a person of color, and I think Rosario Dawson has done a absolutely phenomenal job with her portrayal. We'll leave all the mm-hmm. other things off to the side. We're going to talk clearly just about this specifically this Ahsoka situation. No other virtues of who should have who should never had uh, the ability to to go for the role, but. Here's my problem with not giving Ashley an interview. Everything that she has done for Filoni, for animated Star Wars, for Star Wars, for female Star Wars fans, for female geek culture, she at least deserved a phone call to say, hey, we're bringing Ahsoka to live action. We're not sure if you would be right for the role. We're eyeing someone else. We're going to be honest with you. But we want to, out of respect, offer you an audition if it's something that you would like to do. Hmm. That's it. The gesture in and of itself is what really bugs me. That that, that Ashley wasn't told. (laughs) Like, And I get you have to keep the secret. But... You're talking about Ashley Eckstein here. Yeah. She's, you know, the, the modern day Mark Hamill for, for our you know generation, for people that grew up on Clone Wars. She's out there at the conventions making impacts, going and making differences in people's lives. Real legitimate differences. Not just, hey, Brandon really loves Ahsoka. It's yeah. not that. She's going out and making real differences and... and changing lives with this character and what she has allowed that character to enable her to do and propel her to do with her universe and everything that she's done through that the fact that you couldn't even give her a phone call to say we're bringing ahsoka back she's going to be in live action we've got rosario dawson pinned for the role we are so grateful for everything that you've done. If you want to come in for an audition, we are more than happy to pay for your flight out here. However, it needs to be handled, but it wasn't handled. Yeah. She found out on social media. Ooh. That's never a good look. No. That's never a good look, and it will forever bother me. Wow. It 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 really, really does. And it it hurts. It really hurts, honestly. And and because it feels like you're, you're thinking that you're too, this character is too big for, you know, her roots to me. That's what it feels like. No, you, you did your job as the, the voice actress. You did a great job of it. But we're not, it's, it's about only about the character and this is we're in this vacuum oh it it doesn't it doesn't affect anybody else it does affect somebody else Hmm. it does hurt james arnold taylor when you don't call to give him a shot at older obi-wan you just hire steven stanton did steven stanton do a great job absolutely he's steven freaking Stanton. of course he did a great job guy's amazing but other than ewan 
James Arnold Taylor is the first one that gets a shot at Obi-Wan. Period. Mm. So that bugs me. Soapbox yeah. over. You're you want to move into some positive things? Let's talk about some positive things. And I'm gonna I'm actually gonna go first on this one because I actually before I we get should. into it, I have an honorable mention. Oh, I have like three. Okay. Well, my honorable mention also has to do with Ashley Eckstein. So oh, gosh, okay. <laughs> uh this is when a few years ago, 2018, 2019. When uh, Adriana sent a, a little video in our group chat, and it was oh, Ashley yeah. Eckstein saying hi yep. to me. Uh, that was one of the coolest moments of my life on so many levels, uh, and that just always really means a lot to me. And I'd go back and watch that video pretty regularly, so <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, but I didn't really have much commentary on that other than to say, thank you, Adriana. And uh, so, yeah, I, that is, it would be on the list, except for it's not very much of a conversation other than, oh, wow, that's this is the cool thing that happened. This yeah. is really, really amazing. Um, so, yeah, uh, you want to breeze through yours real quick here? Uh, just the, the other ones that did not make the list. Yeah, your honorable mentions. Um, I also am really surprised that Bad Batch got a whole show all to itself uh, simply in order to continue the clones stories it's like i'm done i don't need those anymore thanks no thanks mm, um, ouch that hurts well so, so did watching the mad match um i was really surprised that they let qui-gon Jin's death be spoiled before episode one came out by including the tra- the track uh qui-gon's funeral on the soundtrack which was released a month before the film dropped come on guys that was really bad and then i had another line on him that was just infinite delay on Rogue Squadron movie. That's really bad. I don't like that. I want that movie so bad. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I, I, I need more spaceships flying around and killing things. You know, what really, now that I think about that, what really surprises me that we didn't get a proper space battle in The Force Awakens. We didn't get a proper like ship-to-ship combat in space. Yeah. We had uh, like the attack on Takodana, and we had the attack on Starkiller Base, but where was like the dogfight that we needed out in space with Y-Wings and things? We had these cool, fancy-looking X-Wings, but where's the Y-Wing love? Come on, guys. There's Y-Wings in Rise of Skywalker. Just saying. There are. That's true. And I'm okay with that. Sort of. <laughs> well, that was the bright, shining spot of that whole sequence. Just the, the Y-Wing and just the Y-Wing. You know, that Coen-Sair representation just really hits me where I live. and I'm there for it, man. Uh, three other people on the internet. We're all about the Y wing love. Well, that's that's you know, <laughs> Star Wars does that. It it pleases everyone. Well, in the in the weirdest ways, you know. That's yeah. kind of the thing. So aye, aye. I, I'm going to jump into my 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 top list here yes. first because my number three is it Ashley X nine again? No, it's not. Okay. Okay. Cool. It's Bad Batch. Oh jeez. Okay. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I did not expect to like the show as much as I do. I expected Clone Wars light. And yep. that's what we got. It no, it is not. It really is. It's okay, go ahead. This is your time. It it has all of my favorite themes of Star Wars. It's has found family identity rebirth it's getting into harder topics like ptsd and the traumas of of war and the mentality uh that that brings with it 
Uh, and I ended up finding, like, when I looked at this and I was making this list, it was one of the first things to pop in my head. And as I was going through my number three, I realized I I looked forward to this more than I looked forward to Book of Boba Fett. Oh, oh. Yeah. Deep. Yeah. I mean, I know. But to me, it's it's answering a lot of questions about the immediate aftermath of Order 66, which is really cool because we get lots of Order 66 things that happen, but we don't get we get narrow stories like Cal Kestis and Fallen Order and things like that. We haven't got stuff that happens right after Order 66 and looks at the bigger galactic picture. Uh, we get to see how the Empire was built. We get to uh, see the transition from clone troopers to stormtroopers and the mentality that that brought and how that uh, kind of built the Empire by having its roots be built around this kind of propaganda campaign of bringing, uh, you know, these enlistees in. And loved Omega, loved the the relationships that they developed there, the humor is is to me is excellent that echo joke will always be top tier okay sure it's give me another example of a joke in that show yeah that's kind of what i thought (laughs) no i'm trying to one part of that show that's funny but okay there are other moments of like crosshair stating things obviously or expecting everybody to know something because he knows it it's just it's little things like that that it's the humor that builds the relationship at the same time that I really really love um, and then I also really liked that they did not give crosshair a full redemption arc at the end of season one I think I think there's still a chance uh, that he does get a redemption arc of some sort I he probably sacrifices himself and dies because that's what they do the safe option would have been to give Crosshair the full redemption arc right away in season one. It was the safe and easy answer. It was what they did to, and and I kind of, as I was making my list was making sure that these contrasted enough to really, you know, prove that one should be high and one should be low. They went the safest option with Ben Solo. They had all the cards in their favor and they, they dropped the ball to mix metaphors there. (laughs) They had that's a, that nothing. An interesting kind of comparison, though. Yeah, you're right. They were they had the kind of similar opportunities, and one went safe, and one took a little bit wider of a risk. And you know, in your eyes, the wider risk paid off much better than the safe bet. Did you did you actually finish Bad Batch? Yeah. Yeah. I okay. The whole thing. Okay. So I wasn't sure if you had enough of a because I I don't think Lindsay has, has made it to finishing it. I think she's still in that camp. I could be wrong there, though. That sounds about right. I feel like she fell off at a certain point. It was just like, now I've got four or five to catch up on, and it's just not worth it at that point. No, yeah. I, I I watched the whole thing. It was a good bonding experience um, for me and the kids to watch that kind of together. You know, They would come home from school, and I would wait till they get you know get done with their, their homework, and then we'd all watch to, you know, pop a bag of popcorn and watch it together. So I, I appreciate it, definitely. But I, to me, it was just kind of more of the same story that was told throughout the clone wars show itself and i don't necessarily feel like anything interesting happened to these characters or because of these characters or through these characters i feel like these were just 
these are simply a tag along point for the audience to see other stuff that happened. And that's not a terribly compelling way to tell a story in this particular medium. Like it's different. I mean, there there's like novels that do that. If you're familiar with like the scenario that they, they go through, you know, if it's like, I'm trying to think of an example and nothing's coming to mind. Are you talking like a lost stars kind of thing where everything important um, happens off to the side? Not necessarily, okay. but like a story that takes the audience through a historical event that you would already be aware of and, and familiar with, but not necessarily involved in the details of how it happened kind of thing. If you think about like, uh, this may not be the best example, but like Band of Brothers or Saving Private Ryan, where you, know, you read about World War II, but when you see it depicted in a certain way, it it hits you differently but the stories in, in those two particular examples are particular to the characters but they also invite you to live in the world of the historical event in which these guys are walking around i feel like that's what bad batch wanted me to feel like let's come alongside these characters and let's tell you these this interesting story about these four or five six people um and we're going to do it at the same time as we really explain and the unfolding of the empire which is a great concept but i just don't feel like those characters did anything like we've talked about how stereotypical the four heroes are it's like you, you've got rambo and you've got you know computer geek and you've got jockhead call of duty man and then you have you know the sharpshooter like What's new about these characters that is going to hook my imagination and my attention and not just be like, it's literally just one voice actor doing four or five characters and it's just the same as we had from Clone Wars Season 7 and that story is the same as we got in the first six years. Of that It's just kind of more of the same and I was just done with it. So clearly we're getting a second season since they're, they're having a, a panel on it in celebration and I'm sure people are going to love it and that's fine, but it's not going to be when I rush home to watch the kids will watch it and I'll watch it with them. How's that? Is that a good fair enough compromise? I mean, I just think it's unfair that you, they take risks with resistance and you don't like it and they stay safe with bad batch and you don't like it. What you never please drew. I mean, it's clearly, I, I, I am never a happy person and everything is terrible. <laughs> everything uh. is awful. No, Star Wars, I mean, I Star Wars died in 1983. <laughs> 1999. You enjoyed the Phantom Menace. I saw somebody say that Star Wars died in 1983, and I just wanted to reach through the computer and smack them because it was in a Facebook group that was predicated on the Star Wars card game, which didn't come out until 1995. I was like, the hypocrisy is rank. <laughs> oh, man. No, the I. Internet nerds are the worst. I, <laughs> I totally get. <laughs> You're right. I totally get the like perspective of Bad Batch doesn't work for me. Uh, I think it was one of those things where it was just right up my alley. It was yeah. the animation. We're talk about that same kind of thing in just a couple more minutes. I guarantee it. So yeah, I don't begrudge anybody who likes these things. It, absolutely, except for systems. Um, but. <laughs> No, I just it's think just, I think it's important when we're th- talking about these surprises, especially because, uh, well, at least my next one is going to be like one that's almost kind of too obvious as a like surprise that works. Uh, and so I think okay. it's important to, to note that like we can have different takes on whether a surprise 
was a positive or not. You know, there's aspects of of our personalities and what we look for in stories and what we look for in Star Wars that mm-hmm. makes that happen. And so just because X event was supposed to be exciting for everybody, it's valid if it wasn't. Right. You know, and we need to be able to understand that we as individuals are not always the target audience for the creator's work. Right. Like. And and so you and I, you know, as moderately functioning adults, are well, not one of us. Aud- well, <laughs> wow! Put that Twitter poll up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have to respect that too. I feel mm-hmm. like so many people yeah. are saying like, "This is bad because it's not for me." It's like, no, I'm not saying resistance is bad because it's not for me. There are things about it that I don't enjoy, and there are questions there. I don't necessarily think that makes it bad. Like there are, there are worse entries in the Star Wars history of creative decisions that were just bad decisions and, and aren't for anybody. <laughs> but somebody out there's got to love it, and somebody out there's got to love Bad Batch, and that's fine. They should, as long as the only qualifier I put on there, as long as we can talk about, like you can identify the things that you appreciate, and that's what all I ask is like be able to understand why it works for you. Because I think a lot of people aren't interested in investing the time in understanding what they just experienced. A lot of people consume, digest it, and then they instantly look to what happens next. Yeah. So much of what culture, or not culture in general, but maybe, but specifically in, in the entertainment world, are all about what happens next, what's coming next week, next month. You know, think about the, 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 the fanfare that trailers get. Um, and then when the trailer comes and goes... No one cares until the movie drops. The movie drops. It's interesting for a weekend, and that's it. Where, uh, as opposed to, you know, you and I, I think, enjoy more of a look back and say, what did we just experience, and what does it mean? What does it tell us? How do we understand the world around us through a different lens? Are we different today than we were before then, and why? Or why not? Like, what is the impact this thing has on us? Will that impact continue to go on, or is this a flash in the pan? And that's kind of a more fun evaluation for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I look at it kind of like, uh, you know, people had reta- uh, 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 Attack of the Clones reactions where, you know, it, it's you, you're the least favorite Star Wars movie. You didn't like it walking out of the theater, whatever it may be. And when we get the, uh, if you've, I don't know if you keep up with the, the Harry Potter world, but the Fantastic Beasts movies, that second oh, one, man. The Crimes of Grindelwald, I've oh. tried to like it. It, to, to me, it is <laughs> unwatchable. Like, I'm literally going to force myself to watch it one more time to make sure I know what's going on for the the next one. But that was a really hard feeling. We've talked about this a lot. The ninth Fast and Furious movie. Objectively bad. <laughs> Objectively bad. See, I I, we, I had this conversation with somebody else about the the newest batch of Star Trek films. You know, the J.J. Abrams Trek films that started in two thousand nine. Did you watch those three films when they were? Uh, I don't know yes. that you and I have ever talked about that. Because like the first one, I I've watched really at least good. the first two. I'm this not remembering exactly my point. Like, I okay, a couple qualifiers we have to make sure we understand. I love collecting movies. I love owning a physical copy of a thing. Like. 
to put the movie on the shelf is, is it feels good to me. So I like to buy and have complete sets and collector's editions and whatever. So I always like to make sure if I liked a movie or I'm interested in watching it, I want to make sure I buy a copy of it. So Star Trek, when the first one came out, made sure I bought that the first day it came out. Even Star Trek Into Darkness, the second one, which I think I saw in the theaters, made sure I had a copy of that. I was like, you know, it was good. It was fun. I'll watch it again one day. That third movie was so bad and so <laughs> terrible that I, I, I almost walked out of the theater knowing like that there were only 15 minutes left going, no, I, I cannot do this to my poor little brain anymore. And I have not bought a copy of that film. And that, to me, is kind of like the nail in the coffin for an opinion. On It's like, I am not owning this. No, this will not be in my house. We, will, we, we don't talk about the Star Trek beyond. No, 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 no. And that, like you said, those cry, the Fantastic Beasts, no, not 0% attendance at, that, at, the, at this new one that's coming out. You, let me know how it goes, because I ain't spending money on that one. Well, one, I'm going to watch it on HBO Max, so I'm not spending, <laughs> probably going to spend money on it either. But it helped, that experience helped me understand people who didn't like Attack of the Clones. Okay. So so I okay. think my point there is if we come to understand, for example, why you don't like Bad Batch and why I do, I think it gives us a better appreciation for, hey, I might be biased in my opinion of this, which I will openly admit that I am for Bad Batch. <laughs> and part of that is because I've looked at what you have had to say about it and gone, those are very valid points. Yeah, there's evidence to back them up. It's logical. It's not just I don't like it because I'm tired of the clones. Okay, that's that's an opinion, and you're allowed to have that opinion, but that doesn't make the show bad. Like you make really good points about it. You know, the the main characters not really being the most important part of the story, or different things like that, that are very valid interpretations of the text. Not by my opinion, but just by the standards of how we evaluate a, a, a debate. And when we don't have that look at things, we're not going to understand each other better. You know, right. I never could it's understand just, people not liking attack of the clones because it was more star Wars. Like even if you don't love that it exists, it's more star Wars. I walked out of crimes of Grindelwald going, I get attack of the clones now. <laughs> that was my immediate thought. That's and amazing that the connection that you made bet- uh, between that. It, it was just not unreasonable, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I think that, that, that analysis that you're talking about really helps us to understand our experiences better and the stories better. So, Which is why my number three of my top surprises list here, the fact that Visions and Ronin got produced at all, it was shocked me to my core and I love it and you want to talk about things that are created just for like one particular person. That person is me and I would love it. And Oh man, just the fact that anime has come so far in it, in it's, uh, mm, 70 years. Uh, and even in the past 10 years, the leaps that anime has made in, in culture's eyes of appreciation is phenomenal. And I love it. And I think it gives it a chance for people to go back and kind of experience the things that I really enjoyed back in, you know, the late nineties, early aughts. Um, like I, 
love Star Wars and there's a number of other things in my life that I love and adore and participate in, but I got a tattoo of an anime character first and foremost. I didn't get a Star Wars thing. I didn't get a scripture thing. I didn't get a church thing. You know, I didn't get a music thing. I got a a cartoon character. (laughs) So like there's a special place in my heart for that kind of thing. And to know that it's, it's leaking into another love of mine is just so wonderful to see. And, and and I can't, I'm so happy that there are people who get to experience this new world as well. Um, I know not everybody's a fan and that's fine. Uh, you're wrong, but it's fine. (laughs) Objectively. I mean, statistically speaking, you're more wrong than anybody else in the world. What are we going to talk about? But, to know that it's an opportunity, it's an art form, and it's expanding expanding the Star Wars world in a, in a new and interesting way is really exciting. Now, I say that knowingly, knowing that there were um, manga adaptations of the classic trilogy films, which are really good, and if you see them, you should pick them up. They're sixty or seventy dollars per film at this point when you look on eBay. Um, There's manga stars. versions of the new canon books. The Yep, um, Lost Stars has a manga adaptation. I think Bloodlines has a manga adaptation. Leia, uh, Princess Phantom, of Alderaan. Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones got manga adaptations. Mm-hmm. I don't know off the top of my head if Revenge of the Sith ever did. Force Awakens did. Um, and now with Edge of Balance in The High Republic, it's interesting to see that it's a medium, as small as it is, it's like a subset of a subset. And it's and I love that it's getting some kind of support and attention, and it's being kind of adopted into the way in which Star Wars stories are told because it it, it allows people to really broaden their horizons. They see something new that they haven't experienced before. It might introduce them to a culture and a storytelling device that they may not have otherwise understood or ever come in contact with. They get to read from right to left instead of left to right. I mean, that's pretty cool. It takes a little adjusting in your brain. Business wise. It makes zero sense to not go into anime. At least 50% of my class at any one time is reading some comic graphic novel. Good chance it's a manga. Uh, They are requesting to read those books in book clubs. They, They are writing about the animes that they watched. They are learning how to draw anime characters and reinterpretations of characters as anime versions. These are happening like every single day. And it it's not just in my classroom because if it was, it wouldn't be in every different school that I've been yeah. to right from the get go. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been to, and, and I've, worked in a lot of different environments so i feel safe saying that it's a part a solid part of the the culture and when said group gets to when they can vote and have discretionary funds you're gonna want anime star wars out there to hook them in yep you get them now you get them invested if it apparently it's making money because they're producing Possibly a season two. They're producing uh, merchandise. They've released the soundtracks of the episodes. All of these things have happened despite the fact that we as the the podcasting really in deep in Star Wars group is kind of 50-50 on whether we like Visions or not. 
That's the general consensus, you know, that I kind of get from from the fandom really? overall. Yeah. Okay. There are. I, I was going to ask about that. What do you think? The what? What is the uh, uh, general opinion of, of this kind of a circle? How how do the how do the how do the rest of the people feel about? Well, I think you have a, a good portion who are with you on the. This is the coolest thing in Star Wars ever. You have a good portion of people on the side of like Zach and Lindsay of more like not my jam. Don't really think I like anime. You have a good portion. I mean, I I would. Really, if I was just guesstimating, I would say it's 33% all the way around. You have a, you yeah. know, one third being a group like me that's just kind of like, some of these are the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Some of them, you'd really have to pay me a substantial amount of money to, to watch again. <laughs> and so the fact that in our niche, it's that spread out, I think we kind of get lost in the fact that they they're they're thinking bigger. Yeah, they're thinking about making Star Wars not just good for us now who already like it, but making it good for generations to come. Yeah. And anime seems to be the way that things are going. It, it's at least one way in which that works. I mean, yeah. I live out in I live in the country, country. Like several years ago, my wife who works in law enforcement was like the most common 911 call we get is animals loose in the road. It's kind of the area we live in. Our public libraries all have manga sections. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to argue that. It it's really is. So what is your number two surprise? So this was my number one for a while. Okay. And I will explain why it isn't more so when we get to my <laughs> number one. But... It is Maul's appearance in Solo. Wow, you caught me off guard twice there. Really? Because I was, I was like, Maul's appearance. In, in, I thought you were going to say in Clone Wars, but in, in Solo. And this in, is a positive thing. In Solo, yeah. Well, here's I, the thing. I will say that I think the, the lack of content around Crimson Dawn era Maul is really disappointing right now. <laughs> I'm holding out that we're going to get more of that. Uh, I feel like the potential is there. I feel like uh, them bringing that idea back in season seven of Clone Wars adds to, you know, the fact that the story is in their their heads and stuff like that. But this was a full on jaw on the floor moment for me. And, And I'm not exaggerating. I was shocked. You were laying on the ground with your chin hitting the floor? Pretty much. With just a theater seat holding me up. I was <laughs> so shocked. And here's why this makes the, the top list. It was really validating for fans like myself who are invested in a broad range of the content and are more even more so into what most would consider the side stuff than the movies i love the movies Mm -hmm. but the majority of my star wars experience is the shows and at the time of solo particularly the animation and the books and so to get his character who of all the characters you could bring in you bring in a guy that you showed get 
you you have getting killed on screen. Yeah. Right? It's the least safe thing to do. Yeah. They definitely need to do something more with him. In 10 years, five years even, this may not make the list if they really, really do end up dropping the ball on all the potential that Solo has for future storytelling. I will say that. But as it stands right now, when it comes to moments just validating and shocking me at the same time, this is way up there. And we, if this doesn't work, which, I'm, I mean, it works. It works in the story. It doesn't, it, there, there was no confusion for audiences from what I was able to tell of he, what, huh, this doesn't make any sense. How is he back? It was like, oh, Maul's still alive? Whoa, that's crazy. Let's move on and continue because here's the point of the scene. There was no, oh, we've got to, oh, now I have to go back and watch seven seasons of Clone Wars to even understand Solo. <laughs> there was none of that. And so that led to us getting characters like Cobb Vanth, getting characters like Black Crescenton, Bo-Katan, Ahsoka in these other shows hmm. and being able to have it told on two levels of here's a level of the average fan, right? Here's what they're going to see in this scene. Here's what the, uh, you know, in-depth uber fan is going to see in this scene how do we make both of these work at the same time and that proved that it could happen and i don't think the other appearances happen if the mall appearance in solo bombs and wow despite interesting connection i never would have thought to like link the appearance of the other characters into live action film based on what would you call it? The reception of Darth Maul? The, yeah, the reception or of Maul, Darth Maul. Rather? The, yeah. The Lord Maul, I think. Maul, formerly know. Darth. The Darth formerly known as Maul? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that joke works somehow, right? If we keep workshopping it, we'll hit it eventually. It really, right? really does. No, I mean, <laughs> think about it. If you, especially when you consider the fact that Solo... I, I hate saying that Solo wasn't a success at the box office, even though technically speaking it wasn't, because it with having to reshoot the whole film, it did end up losing money. The way that they did it worked. They told the story that was important there. You have just what you need if you want to go and figure it out. You can see his metal legs. You can go, oh, he got cut in half. He has metal legs now. I don't know how he stayed alive, but it doesn't seem to be really important to the scene. If I care enough, I can go on Wikipedia later and look it up. If I don't... It wasn't even important enough in Clone Wars how he survived. It was just like he was so mad that he couldn't die. It's like, all right, sure, whatever. Well, he, he made spider legs. Out it being important and it being effective are different discussions. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Somehow Palpatine returned. Got it, Ugh. got it, got it. We don't talk about Palpatine. Similar vibes to me, but that's all right. Uh, my number two... Oh boy, I'm really I'm still deciding how to flip my number one and two. Like, I look at them in my list and I'm like, golly, which is more surprising to me? Um, I, number one shouldn't be that. So okay, my number two is the most number two is the most surprising thing to me is that a Disney Star Wars movie would ever crack my my favorite top three Star Wars movies. 
Mm. Like, for years, it had when we rank which films are our favorites, it was always um, five, six, four, one, two, three. No, one, three, two. Sorry. It was always uh, classic on top, prequels on bottom. And when the Disney purchase was announced so many years ago, uh, I was like, okay, more garbage Star Wars movies. Fine. We'll still see them. It'll still be fun, but you're never going to beat the classic trilogy. And the fact that The Force Awakens and Rogue One are tied for my second favorite Star Wars movie is absurd. Whoa, Force Awakens? Force Awakens. Okay. I did not realize that. I knew Rogue One. I did not realize. Every time I watch Force Awakens, which is fairly often, I'm like, this movie's so much dang fun. And then every, and I'm like, it's, it's so good. It's got to be my second favorite. It's, it's right behind Empire Strikes Back. And then every time I put Rogue One on, and I'm like, Rogue One is so good. It's so interesting. It's got to be the number two. It's like, it, it, the only way I can put one above the other is which one did I watch most recently? Like, I can't shake that. And that doesn't make good logical sense to me. They, In theory, they really shouldn't be that good, but they really are. And it's amazing to think that how concerned everyone was at the time of the Disney purchase of what they were going to do and how they were going to do it and what it would mean for the future and would they reboot the story or are they going to continue things and how none of it was clear. None of it made good sense. And all of that was done away. All of those questions and concerns were done away with that first night force awakens came out like that movie landed so solidly. It's like Simone Biles doing her job. And I was just blown away. I could not believe how good it was. Is it a perfect film? Maybe not. Is it the best star Wars movie? It's at least the second best. And then to follow it up with Rogue One just is mind-boggling because it's so different from Force Awakens. It's amazing how they live in the same world, but they're they're so very different from each other. Yeah. And, and but still accomplishes so many positive things. It, it shouldn't work. Like these are stories about space wizards and 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 dog people. Like it shouldn't be this good. Like this, this should be like prequels for kids. Like the prequels were for kids, and these movies should have stayed in in the realm of twelve year olds love these things, but serious people don't. And that's just not the case. It's amazing. So I, I still can't believe that that if you put the top five Star Wars movies, two of them are made in the last ten years. You know, we we get into the conversation of all the the director changes and the faults of episode nine and the faults of episode eight. Like we get into all these conversations and, and there are conversations to be had, but Mm -hmm. being so far removed from force awakens and rogue one, I think we forget that they know what they're, or they've at least proven they can do it effectively. Right. I, I think that they went into those assignments understanding what the goals were mm-hmm. of uh, especially force awakens had to reintroduce the entire concept of what is a star Wars movie, but at the same time retain the things that made the originals so popular and it really accomplished everything it set out to accomplish, which was that's, that's exactly what you want from a film. You want it to be entertaining. You want it to mean something. And I think it did both of those things. Um, Rogue One is a different kind of thing. It was looking to tell a different type of story, 
but I feel like it leaned into the elements upon which it was trying to tell. Like it wanted to tell that heist story. And so it did a great job of that. I think part of the, the, the problem later on is that the vision for those stories got lost and, and challenging, but man, did they kick it off really well. And I, 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 I can't, even if Rogue One wasn't a Star Wars movie, it'd still be a great movie. And even if Force Awakens wasn't in the Star Wars universe and it kicked off this brand new thing, I still I think that it would still be as appreciated as it is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, and I, and it showed that Disney could take the Star Wars that we've always cared about and do something mm-hmm. effective with it, and that they could also make their own thing and do it effectively. Right, and doing those things together at the same time was very important. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was it's a very high bar to clear, and I think it was it was it was done really really well, and and I, I love it. Uh, we should go watch Force Awakens tonight, even though it's really really late. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will. Uh, I'll jump to my number one because it kind of links to yours in a way, and that is uh, Luke Skywalker. Okay. Uh, particularly Disney era Luke Skywalker and the appreciation that the stories they've told with him have given me for the character. So when I was younger, Luke never really was super important to me, save for that one scene. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it. (laughs) There we go. Um, no, but sing me the story of the caves. I, I mean, I had the green lightsaber and I, you know, dressed up as, as Return of the Jedi Luke. But other than that singular part of his story, the rest of it I didn't really care about or care for or was invested in. And I, the only reason I was invested in that part of the story in particular was because I was able to relate it to my life at that time. Sure. But I always felt more like a Darth Vader than I felt like a Luke Skywalker. Aw. And then... I mean, it, it is it is what it is. I always felt like I was somebody, especially once the prequels came out, I really leaned into, I'm Anakin Skywalker. Mm. And so to be able to see more of Luke's story and to be able to see that he failed. Yeah. And he had all, had all these expectations and he failed. And this is this is part of why Kylo connects with me, t- too, is the expectations that he set, the expectations that Ben set for himself, were never anybody else's except their own. Hmm. And so they failed because they tried to be what they thought other people expected them to be when nobody expected them to be anything except for who they were. Nobody ever expected been to be anybody except for who he was except for the people you know the the voices that were manipulating him you know but anybody that mattered never was they they did what they thought was best for him but they didn't want him to be a jedi if he didn't want to be a jedi they just thought that was the best path for him and so they did the best that they could and he had the weight of the literal galaxy on his shoulders. So he set these expectations high. You have Luke, who is, as he says, you know, I became the legend, right? But who's propping up that legend? He is. He's building it up in his head. He's the one that is crossing the line because he has to be the defender of the galaxy. And he fails at that. 
And to me, that was just so important to see this lauded hero that we people have just loved. And to me, was just nothing. He was he was a goody two shoes golden boy. He was you know the the blonde haired blue eyed knight in shining armor. He was boring. <laughs> boring. It was oh, he was man. boring, and and in that he was exactly what you expected him to be. But when you get to Last Jedi, he's not. Yeah. He's lived a life and he has had experience. He has failed. And most importantly, he has failed the people that he loves the most. Mm-hmm. And he was able to overcome that and really, truly become what the galaxy always wanted him to be, which was just an inspiration. To me, that connected with my life on so many levels that it, absolutely changed the game for me when it came to luke skywalker and he immediately propelled into my top five at the very least top three depending on on the day whether it's (laughs) on the day yeah yeah i mean it's ahsoka leia kylo luke like and by the end of the summer i will have all four tattooed on my body so like it 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 became more than just this one moment of Luke Skywalker means a lot to me and Luke Skywalker overall means a lot to me which got me to dig more into his character and made those appearances that you talked about earlier in Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett regardless of what they did within that stories it made them so important because I felt like I finally had figured out that I had something to learn from Luke's journey. Nice. By understanding the endpoint, right? And so that Luke and Ahsoka moment mattered so much to me because it wasn't just, oh, cool, the son and the Padawan meet. It was two of my favorite characters who I never imagined would meet are meeting from each other and learning from each other. <laughs> That's huge. And getting him to show up in uh, Mandalorian. And just wreck shop and just to get that cool Jedi Luke Skywalker with the green lightsaber. I never realized how much I wanted that. As much as I talk about him throwing his weapon away, I really wanted that apparently. Because <laughs> dear Lord, anytime that comes up on any screen, I'm stuck there until it's over. It's real good. It's so good. So to me, just the fact that. And this kind of goes with what you were saying with Force Awakens and Rogue One, that you can tell these stories so effectively that things we shouldn't care about, things that we, or excuse me, not uh, we shouldn't, things that we haven't cared about before, now we care about. If you can write stories that are that in-depth that you can cause us to effectively and appropriately reinterpret the entire 40 years of stories that we have, to me, that's effective. It's not a, we're going backwards and trying to explain that Palpatine was always trying to live forever and jump bodies. (laughs) It's different because that is trying to explain why something happened in order to validate that thing. What I'm talking about is telling a story where it encourages the audience to go and reinterpret the things that they have seen before. Yeah. They don't have to, but the, it's it's kind of opening that doorway, right? So yeah. Ahsoka's story goes from just her walking away from the Order and that being 
so hard and challenging to do, which is a very important thing to she comes back and is part of the Rebel Alliance. Oh, she was successful. She made the right choice. With Luke, it's the flip. He was successful and made the wrong choice. Hmm. And so getting to see, for me, being so attached to those two characters now, getting to see those two different sides of things continually floors me that they not only exist in the same space, in the same galaxy, but that they're being told at the same time and and honestly that they're being given the same level of weight. Hey, speaking of stories being told that allow you to reinterpret and re-understand something you had casually discarded, my number one, I'd like to talk to you about E.K. Johnston. I don't really know why I love these Padme books so much. Specifically the first one. Mainly because it's not a Star Wars book. But if you were to boil all of us and all of the things we like and all of our appreciations down to statistical values, Padme would be like a single digit percentage point. Um, Her character didn't mean anything to me in those films (laughs) at all. Sorry, guys. But that's kind of the point of this. Um, That first book... Uh, Queen Shadow is it. I've never read anything like that. I don't think. And I mean that in a sense that says I've never read a story about a character that I was not interested in and came out so differently at the end of that book. Like it would take all, it takes a lot to kind of turn you around when you already have hard and fast opinions formed about a thing. And to do it in such an economic way was fascinating to me. Um, I read the Ahsoka book, which came out first. She wrote the Ahsoka novel, and you know it didn't really do anything for me. It didn't really introduce me to the character, to anything I didn't know, or really it didn't really affect my understanding of things at all. Whatever, it's fine. But so when the Padme book came out, I wasn't terribly excited about it to begin with, because it wasn't about a thing I was interested in. Uh, chances were good there were no Y wings, and there wasn't going to be a lot of things in there that I was going to be looking for in a book anyway. But I don't even remember why I ended up reading it, but I remember getting like the digital version from the library and just tore through the whole thing in like two days. I think it was the fastest I've read a Star Wars book ever. I don't have a really good explanation, but for like the one chapter where it's just the girls um, and, and it has such a strong image of that week after you graduate high school and you kind of hang out with your friends and you're like, what do we do with our lives now? Like we've we've kind of checked off this massive goal. We filled in the box, and now we're kind of all in this limbo before we start to move on to the real part of our lives. And the chapter in which that occurs was so interesting, where they're just laying around talking to each other, and there's something just clicked that said, "This is about the people now." It's about. It's not about good versus evil. It's not about who's got the cooler spaceship. It's not about whose lightsaber crystals are stronger or whatever. It's about the people that you know this affects and that the stories are told around. And it was so fascinating to have that introduced into the Star Wars universe. I don't think there's another book out there like it. Um, 
I would defy somebody to find me one that tells a, a story in such a similar and impacting way. I don't know that it exists. The only exception to that is the Phasma book because I was listening to Lindsay and Zach talk about it briefly on The Last Sith Talk. And I was like, I've never read that. And if Lindsay has that high praise for it, it's time. So I need to go find me a copy of that for like a book and make sure I, I read that one. But I am so surprised that I fell in love with that first Queen's book so hard that it instantly became my favorite. And it has to fight with Ronan for my favorite book out of the new canon. Like that, it's just mind boggling to me that it even competes. Yeah. Um, never especially mind at the top of the list. Well, especially considering like you have your books that you like that are predictable for you. We all knew you were going to like Ronan. We all knew you were going to yeah. like Alpha, uh, Alphabet Squadron. Like, I did not know that, by the way. <laughs> oh, I, I well, I think I read it before you, so I knew. Like, I think you did, yeah, yeah. Because I, I came from the world of like, I really liked the Rogue Squadron books. I really liked the New Jedi Order. I really liked the Fate of the Jedi series. I, I liked the way in which the story kept going, and kind of the story of these superheroes really continued to evolve and change over time. And that was kind of the aspect of the world that I really liked. And, and Queen's Hope does, isn't interested in doing that at all. No, not even a little. It, it has no interest in, 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 in events. And it has all the focus on the people. And it was a world I had never stopped to really consider, where it was these group of people who worked together um, to achieve a common goal in such a crazy and bizarre way. And it was so fascinating to see something new and interesting like that. Um, you know, hopping into the second one, queen's peril. peril peril you know we've talked about this when it first came out like the first two-thirds of that book same vibe so interesting to watch these different characters live lives that th there's no one else in the rest of the, the star wars canon that does this no one's writing this kind of thing no one's telling these kinds of stories they don't have force powers they don't have special abilities they don't you know they they're not the f flying the fastest ship in the universe they're they're really good at what they do but what they really good what they do is art what they do is is it sounds demeaning but sewing yeah like makeup uh <laughs> acting writing you know these are art, art, artistic talents that they have and that's their power and it's kind of it, it's so validating to this to, it should be validating to all of us really because we should all be able to look at these characters and say, I don't have to be the fastest runner or the best weightlifter in order to be the strongest person in the room. What makes me special and what makes me, you know, a valuable part of the team is whatever weird, unique idiosyncrasies I bring to the table. And it's kind of, you know, as, as a, a lifelong holder of minority opinions, it's kind of validating to say that like, there's really no one who can play the role that you're playing. So play your role 100%. And I think that's one of the messages in those stories is like she needed somebody who could, you know, we're reading the third book and there's a moment where there's no one who can braid the hair the way that Padme needs it. So she calls yeah. the one person who can do it in order to achieve the thing. There's no one she can, you've read the first, you know, like you said, 70 or 80 pages. And so there's the discussion about the, the, the material that she inherited from her family and it's used for one thing and to, sh to ask somebody for help with that one thing is to reveal so much to that person. 
like it's an, it, it's such an economic way of investing emotional stakes into these people who prior to these books never had emotional stakes to me. Like what they do with Padme in the films is a tragedy. <laughs> and and to have that entire character redeemed in such a fashion is I didn't think it was possible within the context of a Star Wars book. And I don't, after this, these, this trilogy of books is over, I would be shocked if it ever happens again. And I, I mean, like you were saying, it causes you to reinterpret if Even though, you know, like you said, the first two thirds of Queen's Peril are unique and, and something new. The second part, or excuse me, the third uh, act all kind of happens at the same time as Phantom Menace. Yeah. But, when you have those scenes on Coruscant and you know what's happening on Naboo mm-hmm. and you know what's happening about these characters that you now care about outside of the movie itself, but you care about them now, that adds a lot of weight to knowing what it's taking for Padme to be there, knowing what's pulling her back home. You know, it, it it adds depth to that character. It adds stakes to the movie. And then it's also allowed for other forms of storytelling because like I haven't gotten to it yet, but this latest Vader run of comics is bringing in Sabe and is, I've heard that too. And I was like, Oh, now I have to go find that. Yeah. (laughs) And from what I've heard, it's dealing with, you know, uh, with Vader, with Anakin having to look at somebody who's a lookalike of, of his wife. And so I don't think you get that without successfully building up those characters, you know, like, sure, you can do it and you can be like, oh, yeah, cool. Here's the handmaiden. And, oh, you know, look, Anakin, you can say it. Anakin's thinking about Padme again. Yes. But you can't feel it. And that's the difference for me with these books is it's not just that we understand why the handmaidens are important. It's not just that we are getting more Padme content. All of those things are great, but it's the fact that you made us feel for these characters who were hardly even side characters, background characters. Well, they didn't and you didn't names. just give stories. Yeah. You gave them lives and depth. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Star Wars background characters have gotten stories. Mm-hmm. That's what Star yep. Wars does. But to actually make us care about these handmaidens as main characters in a story is, like you said, it, it when they are the story, there's... G.K. Johnson sent out a tweet when Queen's Hope was coming out, like, here's another book where the characters are the plot. Yeah, exactly. It's not... <laughs> there's no real big plot. Like, there is a plot that, you know, a, a line that the story follows. It's not just, here's day one, here's day two. But... The plot is not important. The plot is only there to help inform you about these characters. Yeah. yeah. And it's such a good piece of world building. It really is good. And I, I, again, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm shocked and surprised that, that it hooked me as much as it did. And I'm, I'm really glad that it did. Um, I'm really glad that I took the, that shot to read and say, I'm, I, I'm just going to have to read it and see what this is about. And man, oh man, was I in for a treat. And you know, so, Overall, as we've gone through our list, one thing that stood out to me is how much being surprised either way 
has to do with taking a risk on something you didn't know if you'd like. That's a good point. Yeah. You know? Like for you know, you you take a risk on it, you see if you like it and if you don't, like you've been saying, you look at it. Why? Why didn't it mm-hmm. work for you? What does that tell you about yourself? What does that tell you about the kind of stories you like? And the exact same thing for I mean, both of our lists on on things that were positive were things that we didn't, you know, expect that came out of left field that we just gave a try on a whim, you know, more or less. I never intended for Bad Batch to be important to me. I never intended for Luke Skywalker to become one of my favorite characters. You didn't, you know, <laughs> intend for Padme to be uh, a top tier character in your eyes. The books, the books, just the, the, as long as we keep that clear delineation. <laughs> well, that's fair. Yes. But I mean, sh- in, she's an important character for you now because she has depth. She may not be your top 10 or anything like that, well, but you took a character like they did with Luke Skywalker that we didn't really care about and took it in an interesting and new angle and took a risk with that character, and it worked yes. out. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. It was something that um, did not have inherent interest for me and didn't have automatic hooks. Like if they had, like when Alphabet Squadron was released, it's billed as a squadron style book. That's an automatic hook. And so people who like that kind of stuff are going to be interested in it. These books did not have that for me. And by just opening up the app and, and hook it up with the local public library, you know, like you said, taking a risk, taking a chance, investing some time, effort, and energy into it paid off in massive dividends because of the way in which it changed the way, not necessarily that I understand these characters, but man, can I appreciate the story that's told here and the way in which, you know, real people play a role and, you know, are affected by these events that we've seen otherwise occur. It's just very comforting to feel that, to know that, you know, everybody gets a, a, a role to play and to, to read the stories of these characters was just so interesting to see. So Well, and it's it's so often these characters, these side characters, are, are solely used to inform the main character's story. And we've seen that, like, in Clone Wars. Uh, there's a the episode uh, where they're voting on, a, I think, another bill to, to make more clone troopers. And Padme's arguing against it because it's taking away resources from the planets and people are are starving and stuff. And she talks with one of her handmaidens and that handmaiden, you know, informs her of what's really going on. And so then Padme is able to effectively like share that story and and Mm. achieve her goal. Right. That handmaiden existed to advance Padme's story. Right. That particular one. But when you look at these characters, even though Padme is the character we follow along, she's our tracking character, all of their stories matter. And Padme's story doesn't happen if all of their stories not just don't happen, but don't but don't matter. Right. You know? And so yeah, it's it is. It's it's really, really exciting when you try new things in Star Wars and it it pays off. And that happens so regularly uh, in in this new era that we're getting with all this content. 
Did you have any other honorable mentions for your positive side of the lists? Uh, the only one, other one I would throw out that I can think of off the top of my head uh, would be, just because we're talking about books, Justina Ireland has really impressed me. I've really enjoyed every entry oh, wow. that she's had to uh, the, the High Republic in particular, but uh, I've read some of her other Star Wars entries, and they've always just really pleased me, so those would be in there. Um, and I think that would be, be pretty That's much it. Everything, cool. everything else is kind of, I got really excited about. I'm yeah. thinking about, you know, like Porgs and, uh, baby Yoda and all of those things. I got really excited about them, but in terms of what we're talking here about surprises that really made an impact on your Star Wars experience, yeah. I would, I would say we pretty much covered the list. Nice job. I had just a couple real quick ones. Um, I was very surprised that they decided to republish certain Legends novels Ooh, under the Essentials banner. One. That really kind of took me off guard. Um, I was... <laughs> this is, might be a little cynical, um, but dumping George Lucas' involvement in the sequel trilogy when Disney purchased <laughs> everything, they were like, he was like, here's the scripts that I had imagined. They're like, yeah, thanks, no thanks. That was, that was, that's a shocking story when you hear it. Um, also, the last thing I have is the Fate of the Jedi books, which is a, the nine book series in old Legends stories where Jason Solo becomes the bad guy. I was surprised at how much they use the Bush administration of the early aughts as inspiration for, you know, the tyrannical approach of Jason Solo's uh, governing style. <laughs> Um, and if you haven't read the, the fate of the Jedi, it's not bad, but you, when you read it, you're like, holy cow, this is, this is anti Bush administration propaganda, which is fine. It was, it was good. It, it, I'm not sure who would like that anymore. Honestly, it's, it feels a little quaint, but it, it just stood out to me. Like the, it was the first time I read a star Wars book and said, Oh, this is a political analogy. Interesting. It'd be interesting to go like reread those with, our current political climate and see. I, I would really like to find the time to read all nine of those back to back to back again and, and kind of do an analysis, a historical analysis to 20 years ago and then to more modern day yeah. <laughs> applications. That'd be really be cool. an interesting thing to do. But I, again, I was surprised that they were so brazen in the way in which they were uh, mirroring certain elements. Cool. All right, well, guys, that wraps it up for tonight. Uh, if you have ones that would have been on your list that we didn't talk about, you can always send those to us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com or on the Twitters. Uh, we are at Clashing Sabers, and we are the same place on Instagram. Uh, and then we have our Facebook group, which is growing every day. Uh, so head on over there and share your thoughts in the comments of this episode or uh, start a post for uh, your yeah. content or things you want to talk about. Know, let us know what surprised you most. Like what stood out and be like, holy cow, was not expecting that. Let us know and see what uh, where we where we overlap and where we yeah. don't. Absolutely. Uh, and if you want more content of ours, of course, we have our Patreon. You can always head over there. And uh, if you're going to be at Star Wars Celebration, <laughs> look oh, out yes. for us. Please find us. Like, I know I've got the, I've got at least one Clashing Sabers shirt that I'm planning on wearing that particular Friday. So we will we will be there. Uh, we will be there. We will be live. And we would really, really love to meet you guys and just say hi and talk about 
about Star Wars. That's what it's all about. That's what this whole thing is about, is continuing the conversation and looking at it from different angles. And we're going to keep doing that. Drew, you are over on Twitter as at the Drew Brett, correct? You can find me there. That is us. We are here, but we're also leaving. So batch eight. (laughs) Go get that cardigan from under your bed. Hi ho. You were the one complaining about it being past your bedtime. I'm just Do you remember saying. that time when we were like, it'll be under two hours? The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use different information on educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about, but Kathleen Kennedy, if you need need anything let me know i work for cheap now let's blow this thing and get out of here